you'll find your place in your Bible with me at Psalm 127. Psalm 127. And I'm going to read all five verses of this psalm as we begin a new series today that I've entitled, Things They Didn't Tell You About Parenting. Now, I realize that some of you are parents and your children are already grown, um, and you're going to wonder, what, what is in this particular series for me? Well, because you're still a grandparent, or you know parents who could, in, uh, could use some encouragement and some help along the way, your children, raising their children, could use your help and encouragement along the way. Um, there's going to be things you're going to learn about the text itself as we look at different texts of Scripture, things that you'll learn about the text itself that uh, you'll enjoy learning. So there's, there's things for you to learn even if you don't have children that you're directly raising at this very moment. And I hope you'll stay with us over these next few weeks. Psalm 127, beginning in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Let's pray together. Father, we begin today a new journey, a journey that's going to take us along the path of Scripture dealing with rearing our children. Lord, I believe everyone watching and everyone in this auditorium loves his or her children, and they want the children to grow up to love you. And I pray, God, that you'll help us to learn the truths that are going to be presented over these next few weeks. Father, it's going to require some effort for us to get here, to be a part with all the things that are going on. But Lord, we just don't want to miss what the Scripture has to say about rearing our children. Lord, we're not looking to sociology. We're not looking to psychology. We're looking to the theology of your word. And I pray that you'll lead us into the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we begin a journey that's going to take us about six weeks uh, to complete and it'll take us right up until before Thanksgiving, and uh, then I'll be preaching about Thanksgiving. And I want to begin with a disclaimer. You know, you watch the news sometimes, and before they show a video, they give a disclaimer that you might be seeing something that'll disturb you, something that, that might concern you. Well, I want to give a disclaimer uh, as I begin today this new series of messages. The reason the things that you're going to hear in this series are things that you've not been told about parenting is because these things that I'm going to be sharing with you are at least, at least 2,000 years old. And some of them are as much as 3,500 years old. And those kinds of things have just sort of fallen out of vogue in our society. Our society, if you haven't noticed, is always looking for something new and novel. You know, the novel coronavirus. They're always looking for something new and novel. They're looking for the latest and the greatest trend or fad. They see other parents doing things differently, and they figure, well, I'm going to adopt their ways so that I fit in with the rest of them. And in the process, they abandon a lot of the old ways that have been used for centuries, even millennia, in raising children that follow God. 
They scrap the tried and true for the untried and the highly questionable. And they think that by doing so, they're going to somehow simplify the process or somehow they're going to fit in better with the rest of society in the rearing of their children. The fact of the matter is you may learn some good ideas from modern thought about rearing children, but here's the problem. The problem is is that we aren't already firmly rooted in God's truth about parenting And the result of that is we are totally unprepared to discern what is harmful and what is helpful in our approach to raising children. In other words, if you don't already know what God says, then all of these other means of thought that may come to you, if you don't know what God's Word says, you don't know how to sift through that and say, yeah, I could use this, but this this won't work. It conflicts with the the truth of God. What you're going to hear over the course of this series, you likely won't hear from any other source anywhere because it comes from God's word alone. And I don't mean just from our church alone, many churches like ours, but it won't come from any other source but the church because it's God's word. And in today's modern society, most people believe that the Bible is just an ancient book of history. It's filled with a lot of stories and fables and fairy tales, and it's really not all that applicable to today's life. And so they've put it on the scrap heap of history, and they've set it aside, and they might read it as a book of literature, but they do little else with it. And yet we know, people who believe the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we know that this is the eternal inspired word of the living God. As a matter of fact, it's not only people that don't know Christ and aren't in the church that feel this way about the Bible. Apparently, it's the way a lot of Christians feel about the Bible. And that is evidenced by the fact of the way they live. They don't live according to what it says. They don't live by the truth that's already revealed in it for their own lives. And so they speak volumes about what they believe about the Bible by the way they live their lives. If you don't live your life according to the Scripture, you're in essence saying, I don't really believe the Scripture. I don't really believe it's true. But this series of messages is for serious, God-fearing, Christ-loving parents that desire to prepare their children for more than a successful temporal life. These messages are for parents that want to prepare their children for eternal life and for hearing the Lord say when they stand before him, well done, good and faithful servant. More important than hearing your boss say, well done, is being able to have the Lord say to our children when they stand before him, well done, good and faithful servant. And so the emphasis of these messages is primarily on the spiritual aspects of parenting. But I'm not suggesting in any way that academics or sports or the arts or music or dance or dozens of other things aren't important to the rearing of your children. What I am saying is that the most important job a parent has is to shepherd his or her children spiritually to know God and to follow him for the rest of his or her life. That is your most important job. I mean, what does it profit if a man gains the whole world and he loses his own soul? What does it profit if your children gain the whole world and they lose their own soul. That means, and this means, that parents have to be fully versed in the Scripture, and you have to, as parents, be living them out before your children. Trust me, trust me. 
Your children know instinctively whether God's ways are important to you or not by the way you integrate them into every part of your life, your family, or your work. Some of us are just practical atheists. Because we don't apply the scriptures to our own lives, we shouldn't expect our children to apply it to theirs. They have to see a living example, a living model. This kind of parenting that I'm talking about is for the serious, God-loving, Christ-loving parent who understands the core issue of parenting is leading their children to the Lord and to following the Lord. Unfortunately, and this isn't always true, but it is often true, your children are not going to exceed your level of spiritual maturity. If they don't see an ever-growing level of spiritual maturity in their lives, don't expect for them to have an ever-growing level of spiritual maturity in their own lives. What you prioritize, it's likely that they're going to prioritize. And if you don't prioritize spiritual things, then you shouldn't expect that your children are going to prioritize. Now, I've seen God step into a family and God save a child, and that child's heart get touched by the Lord and, and, and grasped by God, and that child really gets in tune with the Lord, and they break that cycle. But more often than not, your children are not going further than you are at this very moment. If you're not growing, that is, they're not going to go much further than you are at this very moment, spiritually. And yet, your job and my job as parents is more than just making sure they have a great education, and they have great sports opportunities, and they have great... Uh, you know, scholastic opportunities. Our, our job is to make sure that we are shepherding the hearts of our children towards the Lord every single day. So we're launching out on this journey about parenting, and, and I hope you understand that what we're going to be talking about is applicable to every age. These truths that I'm going to be sharing with you, they're not mine, they're God's. And they're, 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 they transcend cultural thought. They transcend uh, contemporary uh, cultures. They, can, they transcend all of these things that are going on around us. They are your first responsibility of things that you should follow when it comes to the rearing uh, of your children. If you're looking for God's way to rear your children and not just the popular way, then this series is for you. So are you saying, preacher, if I don't have to come back? Well, no, you don't have to come back. If you're not serious about raising your children and shepherding your children toward the Lord, that they would follow God, then you, know, you don't want to take in more truth that you're going to be held accountable for. This is for those that are serious, God-loving, Christ-loving parents who understand that my ultimate central purpose is to raise my children so that they want and desire to follow God with all of their hearts. And we're going to begin today in Psalm 127. And don't you love reading Psalm 127? Psalm 127 is one of 15 Psalms of Ascent. Hear that again. It's one of 15 Psalms of Ascent. They begin at Psalm 120 and they go through Psalm 134. There's 15 of them. These psalms were sung or chanted as they were climbing up the mountain toward Jerusalem, as they were going up the mountain toward the temple. It was a part of their worship as they were approaching God and approaching the temple. And it's interesting that the middle psalm of these 15 psalms is a psalm about the family. There's seven psalms that precede 127. There's seven psalms that come after 127. And I think that it speaks at least 
uh, as an illustration that central core to all of society is the matter of our families. It's the backbone. It's the structure. If the family falls apart, the society around you falls apart. If you want to know what's wrong with modern American society, the family is falling apart. Ultimately, it's because we've abandoned God and we've abandoned God's ways. But the family's falling apart. I was listening to a broadcast recently, and a man was arguing that we should stop worrying about abortion because we already have so many kids that the government can't take care of. And I thought to myself, number one, you've got a problem in the way you think. Taking care of children was never intended to be the government's job. Now, we have children that we're going to have to take care of, and we should do so. But that was never intended to be the government's job. You know whose job it's supposed to be to take care of the kids? It's supposed to be the family's job. But with the dissolution of the families, so has come this incredible problem that we have dealing with children that don't have mothers and fathers that are in their lives and who are caring for those children. And so when you read Psalm 127, be reminded, this is the center psalm. And it's as if God is saying to us, you know, at the core of a successful society is the family. If the family is strong, society is strong. If the family is weak, society is weak. And that's where we find ourselves today. And unfortunately, unfortunately, that's too often where we find ourselves even in our churches. When the families are weak, the churches are weak. The psalmist who wrote these words, you see it at the beginning of this psalm, is Solomon. About four of these psalms, four I think if I remember correctly, of these 15 psalms were written by David. The others have no ascription, so we don't know exactly who wrote them. But this particular psalm was written by Solomon, and that's significant. Solomon was a great builder, and that's going to be the metaphor we're going to use by way of beginning this series, the metaphor of building. Solomon was a great builder. As a matter of fact, he's responsible for building the temple. And I have an artist's rendering of what the temple would have looked like when he built it. And I want you to think about that. Look at the size of it. In the center of that picture, at the top center of the picture, is where the temple proper is, uh, where the Ark of the Covenant and where you know, the other pieces of the temple furniture would be found. But then you've got all these courtyards and all these meeting areas that extend out across that mountain. And all of that was built with these enormous stones. And here's an interesting thought when you think about Solomon, the builder of the temple. In 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7, it says that in the building of this temple, there was not a hammer or an iron worker that could be heard in working on that stone. In other words, you know the old saying, if you measure once, you cut twice. If you measure twice, you cut once. All of these stones that make up this temple and all of this extended part of the temple, all of it was cut at the quarry. It was measured and cut at the quarry, and then it was brought to the temple site, and it was put in its place. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty complex operation. So it doesn't sound that way to you, right? That sounds like a pretty complex operation. Can you imagine? It's one thing if you got a two-by-four and you cut it wrong and you got to go back and cut it again. Can you imagine moving some of these stones? Just go look at the western wall that's still standing of the temple where the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, go and pray, and they slip their prayers in between the cracks of, the, of, that, of those blocks 
Just go look at the size of those stones. Can you imagine cutting it wrong, getting it out to the site, and then having to transport it back and have it recut? Solomon was a master builder. And even when you look at that temple, you realize the significance of his building skills in overseeing the building of this house. And so Solomon begins this psalm by reminding us of the futility of trying to do anything without God's help. When it comes to building the temple, when it comes to building our house, meaning our family, without God's help, we're all in trouble. Building a house, protecting a city, working for food to eat, he says it's all vain if God's not involved. Vain means it's doesn't reach its desired result. It's useless. It's of little value. It's worth nothing. Isn't that sort of what Jesus said? You can do how many things without me? You can do nothing without me. And so Solomon comes to this process of building, and he begins this psalm by saying, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. But you say, but pastor, he's talking about building a house, a physical structure. Yes, in part, that is what he's saying. But he's saying more than that because a little later in verse 3, he's talking about children. And that Hebrew word that's translated as house is referred to as well as raising a family. Sometimes God would say, I'm going to build you a house. And he didn't mean a physical place to live in. He meant a, a heritage, a generation that would come after you, children that would come from you. So that the application is not only to the physical structure itself, the application is to the family itself. The house just happens to be the place where they live. The ones who live in that house are the family, and God must be centrally involved in the building of the family. And if God isn't central, it's useless. It doesn't bring about the desired result. It's of little value. There's all kinds of problems that arise. And so we're going to use this metaphor this week and next week to talk about raising children. And as we do that, there's some things, two things today that are absolutely necessary in this building metaphor, that are absolutely necessary when it comes to the matter of raising children. First of all, there has to be a plan. If you're going to build something, there has to be a plan. Now, for the moment, this plan isn't so much about the dimensions or the materials that are going to be used in the house as much as knowing the end result of what you want to achieve never forget 20 years ago when we built this building, we had an architect come and he sat down with me in my office and the first thing he said to me, he says, now how do you want this building to operate and what do you want this building to do? This was my first experience with an architect and I thought, I thought that's what we we're paying you to tell us. He wanted to know what our vision was. He wanted to understand our plans for the use of this building. He wanted to get a grasp of, of how the building was going to function. And so we're not talking at this moment about the materials and about the dimensions and where the wiring and the plumbing and the HVAC go. We're talking about in the building of our family, what is our plan? And the sad thing is that a lot of parents just don't seem to have a plan. As a matter of fact, almost to the parent I ask, and I ask this question periodically, not, not frequently, but periodically. What is your plan for raising your children to follow the Lord? And almost to the person I ask that question, it's silence. They don't have a plan. I mean, how do you measure successful parenting if you don't have a plan? 
How do you produce children that are following the Lord if you don't know what your plan is and you're not working that plan? And here ends the most significant mistake I think that parents make. They either aim at nothing, which is where most Christian parents are. They just aim at nothing or they aim at the wrong thing. Now, if you aim at nothing, it's almost certain you're going to hit it, right? Almost everybody that aims at nothing hits it. And if you aim at the wrong thing, do you realize that a lot of times I've discovered that people aim at the wrong thing from what I call competitive parenting styles? They're competing with other families. They're jealous or fearful that some other child is going to get an advantage that my child doesn't have. And so they get into this competitive mode and they end up aiming their children at the wrong things, pointing their children in the wrong directions. Sometimes we even unwittingly Unwilling, unwittingly aim our children at living out our own dreams rather than helping our children to capture their dreams. You, you've seen it. You've seen the parent who says, I want my children to do this. I want my child to do that. And, and they're living out their own, they're reliving their youth days themselves through their children. I had a young girl tell me she's involved in uh, sporting activity, sporting function. And I asked her one day, how do you like it? I thought she was going to say, great, I love it, I'm enjoying it. She says, I hate it. She said, those are her words, I hate it. I said, why do you hate it? She began to tell me some of the reasons she didn't like it. And you know why she was doing it? Because that's what her mother did. And her mother was living out her life through her child. And that child would have much rather been doing something altogether different more in line with their own dreams, but they were living out their parents' dream. And that's the result of parents that just don't have a plan. I mean, if you don't have a plan for building a building, you're in big trouble, right? If you don't have a plan for raising your children, you're in big trouble, right? There's got to be a plan. As a matter of fact, uh, in verse number four, you notice what he calls children? He calls them arrows, arrows. You know what I know about an arrow? You got to point it. You got to aim it at something. And you got to aim it at the right target. So let me ask you some questions. Is your target a high academic record? Is it sports, a sports scholarship to some prestigious university? Is it to be popular with their peers? Is it to secure them a high-paying career? Is it to serve people and change the world? What is your aim? What is your plan? What are you doing to shepherd the hearts of your children so that they want to follow God? What is it? There's nothing more important than your children knowing the Lord and seeking him, hear the words, for themselves. Because here's what's happening. We're raising our children in a church who, when they get old enough, abandon our faith for something else altogether. Because we didn't shepherd their hearts to the place of understanding what it means to follow the Lord for themselves. That means that they have to be in the scripture for themselves. They have to learn to pray for themselves. They have to share their faith for themselves. They have to be active in a local church serving God and others for themselves. They have to know the mission of God for themselves, for themselves. They've got to adopt it for themselves. You've got to hand the baton off and they've got to carry it themselves. They can't ride on your coattails forever. They won't ride on your coattails forever. 
And our job is to shepherd them to the place where they are ready to take that baton and carry it for themselves. They might carry it a little differently than you carry it. They might carry it in a different way than you carry it. But they're carrying on the faith because you've shepherded their hearts, shepherded their hearts and brought them to that place. The spiritual emphasis should be the ultimate aim of every parent that is worked out for every pursuit your child undertakes. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean by that that every aspect that your child's involved in, how does the gospel apply to this? How do the truths of Scripture integrate with this? How does the plan of God function along with this? You, you integrate every aspect of God into every aspect of their lives. And you ask them, you know, how is this working out God's plan for your life? And you're leading them and you're shepherding them and you're guiding them in that direction. Turn with me for a moment back to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua, chapter 24. Joshua was the young man who was second in command to Moses. Of course, you know, God buried Moses at the age of 120. And Joshua became the commander. And he led the children of Israel across the Jordan River and into the land of Canaan. And under his leadership, they took possession of the land. They divided up the land amongst the, the tribes of Israel. And now Joshua's an old man. He's 110 years old. He's an old man. He's about to die. And he brings together the leaders of the people and the people themselves. And in Joshua 24, verse 14, listen to what he says. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river. Why would they want to do that? Serve the gods on the other side of the river in Egypt? It was the one true God that delivered them out of that. Or the gods of the Amorites? That's the gods in the land of Canaan that the one true God had defeated. In whose land you dwell. Now listen, here's the... Here's the, the uh, driving statement, the motivational statement of every parent. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You think Joshua had a plan? You think Joshua had a plan? Absolutely, Joshua had a plan. He says, I can't predict what all of you are going to do. You need to make up your minds. You need to get out of the middle. You need to get on one side or the other. But as for me, in my house, we serve God. He had a plan. Do you have a plan, parents? If you don't, I'm going to help you with that. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. But you've got to have a plan. You've got to know what your plan is. You've got to work your plan. And that plan, at the core of that plan, isn't just a scholastic scholarship. It isn't just a great career. It isn't just being popular with the peers. It's a matter of Shepherding the heart of your children to follow the Lord. You know, the tragedy today is that many children are being launched without ever being aimed. Most children are given none or very little spiritual direction by the average parent. There is no plan for their spiritual development that brings them into being faithful followers of Jesus, except, except maybe to drop them off at a church activity every once in a while and maybe show up to church if it's not too inconvenient on your schedule. You do understand that the church has at most your children for two or three hours, at most. How many hours does the school system have your child? 
How many hours does the television have your child? How many hours does the internet, that phone, that iPad, that computer, that Xbox, that Nintendo, how many hours does that have your child? I mean, if you're not working every single day of your life seeking to bring Christ and the gospel into your children's lives, the result is they will get consumed by everything but Christ in the gospel. Amen? They will get consumed by everything but Christ in the gospel. Please understand that parenting is more than conceiving a child, feeding a child, clothing a child, educating a child, and then sending that child to live on their own. We have the responsibility of preparing our children for their eternal destiny of living for God and standing before him one day to answer for themselves. And you won't get to stand there with them, parents. You can stand for your children right now in the school system and tell the teachers and the principal and the board, uh, board members what you think. But when they're standing before God, you're not going to be able to slip over next to them and say, oh, that was my fault. They're going to be standing there before God for themselves. That's why it is. We have to have a plan. Except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. But you don't build a house without a plan. You've got to have some kind of structure in which you're working to bring your children to a place of following Jesus Christ. I heard about a man that once argued with the English poet Samuel Coleridge. And they were, he was arguing with him about the spiritual instruction and spiritual parenting. And this man said to Coleridge, I don't think parents should indoctrinate their children to religion. Instead, they should give their children the freedom to make their own choices. And I've heard Christian parents say things very similar to that. They should make their own choices. Well, the very wise Coleridge didn't say a word. He just invited the man to go back with him into his backyard to look at his garden. And when the visitor saw it, he exclaimed, This is no garden. It's just a patch of overgrown weeds. And Coolridge responded, well, it used to be a garden, but I decided to give it the freedom to become whatever it chose without any interference from me. You get the point? You get the point? If you don't cultivate your children's relationship with God, I can assure you the devil will sow the seeds of the weeds throughout their lives. And what does it say in the gospel of Matthew chapter 13? The weeds grow up along the, beside the seed that begins to grow up. And what does it do? It chokes it out. It chokes it out. We have to cultivate our children's lives. We have to be at work every single day. Your children may be young at this moment. Praise the Lord. You're early on. Yeah, they may be in the you know, upper middle school, upper, upper, upper elementary and middle school, some of the cruelest years of life are middle school. Uh, middle school, they may be in high school, but you got to start now cultivating this in the lives of your children because parenting, spiritual parenting, now listen, it has to be intentional. It can't be accidental. Oh, oh my, my, my child turned out for the Lord. Oh, wow. That likely isn't going to happen. Spiritual parenting has to be intentional. It can't be accidental. That means you've got to have a plan. 
I want this to function this way. I want this to work this way. I want to have this at, at work in my child's life, and I'm going to work toward fulfilling that plan, seeing that plan lived out so that when my child is no longer riding on my coattails, they have taken the faith for themselves, and they're following the Lord for themselves. They're passionate about God themselves. There has to be a plan. What is your plan? Well, I'm going to help you to build a plan over the next few weeks. I'm not going to give you everything about the plan because I can't function. I don't know how your lives function every day. But I'm going to give you some thoughts and ideas about how you can, how you can build a plan. Secondly, and finally in this message, not only is there a plan, if you're building, you think that temple got built without a plan? It might not have been written on paper like a blueprint is. But Solomon saw it in his mind. He knew exactly what he was trying to construct. By the way, some of it was given by God. But he knew exactly what he was, was trying to construct. There's got to be a plan. Parents, there's got to be a plan. You've got to have a plan. Secondly, there's got to be a builder. Have you ever noticed that uh, everything that gets built has a builder? Notice that? That's why I don't believe in evolution. Uh, I don't believe that everything that has order like we see around us, came from nothing. There was a, a what? There was a creator. There was an architect. You, have you ever noticed that? It, it doesn't just happen. It's guided. It's, it's uh, created by the Almighty God. There has to be a builder. Isn't that, isn't that what the psalmist said? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Now, I want you to notice again, circle them. Three times he says, in vain. He says it again, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In, it is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. That's the person who's just constantly wringing his or her hands. Am I going to have enough to eat? Am I going to have food on the table? Is there going to be a roof over my head? Are there going to be clothes on my back? Will I have something to drive? How am I going to pay my bills? He says that's all vain. It's all vain. As a matter of fact, it's interesting the first two times he says vain, he uses it in the second colon, the second part of the sentence. And when he gets to uh, verse 2, he moves the word vain to the first of the sentence, right up to the front of the sentence. And why does he do that? Because he's drawing your attention. He's fixing your, your, your focus on the vanity, the uselessness, the emptiness. If God isn't involved, it's useless. You need God's help. Can everybody say Amen. You need God's help. I need God's help. My children are grown and gone. I'm watching my grandchildren grow up. I'm watching my granddaughter drive. That's a, prayer, that's, that's a matter of prayer every single day. Not because she's a crazy driver, because you're a crazy driver. I need God's help. You need God's help. And I'm glad to be able to tell you that the gospel doesn't come to us and say, oh, you just got to do the best you can. I saved you. Now you're on your own. The gospel says, I'm going to do for you what you could not do, give you eternal life, and now I'm going to help you to live out that life every single day. Unless the Lord builds the house, there is no better builder than God himself that's why I say, you won't hear this anywhere else. These are things that no one else will tell you about parenting because it's, fall, it's fallen out of vogue. Nobody talks about it anymore. It's 2,000 plus years old. I got news for you. It still works. It's still true. 
These aren't old fables, wives' tales. This is the truth of the Word of God, and you put it into practice, God will help you. God will enable you. He'll strengthen you. Isn't that what God promises? He'll give us wisdom. Don't you need wisdom when it comes to parenting? (laughs) I'm working awful hard here. Don't you need wisdom when it comes to parenting? Don't you come up on things that are related to your children and you're trying to figure out, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? And you call out to God and you say, God, please give me wisdom. Don't let me make a mistake here. Please, oh God, don't let me make a mistake. And we pray for the wisdom of God because we need the Lord. Otherwise, everything else we're doing is just useless. It's empty. It's wasted. We need God's help. I'd say something else. As it relates to this builder aspect, I changed the metaphors again. Did you notice in verse 4 what it says? Like arrows, that's the children. Like arrows in the hand of a what? A warrior, or in the old King James, a mighty man. A warrior, a warrior. I don't know if you know this, but let me just make sure you understand it. You are in a war for your children. Wake up, parents. This is not a playground. This is a battlefield. And there is a war being raged for the hearts of your children every single day. And you don't wrestle, Ephesians 6, you don't wrestle against principalities, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, about the rulers of darkness. I got news for you. Your problem aren't the people with flesh and blood. Your problem are the spirits behind the flesh and blood. They're working to steal the hearts of your children every single day. Every single day. Have you noticed? Have you looked at TV? Have you looked at what's on the different movie apps that you have? I have several movie apps. Have you looked at what's on on those movie apps? Have you looked at what they're learning in the school? Do you pay attention? Do you get involved? With uh, the parent organizations, do you get involved with your children's classes? In the hands of a warrior, if you don't understand that we're at war, you have lost the war already. There isn't anything that I want to hear more, anything that pleases me more than something that... John says back here in the third epistle, in the third epistle, verse four, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Whether you realize it or not, your children are going to grow up And you're not going to be able to control everything around them or be the gatekeeper for all the different aspects of their lives. Little by little, you're going to lose control of who has access to their hearts and their minds. And that's why you need the Lord. Because when you can't be there, what you're teaching your children about the Lord is always there. He he is always there. And how many times in the course of, of my 63 years, almost 63 years, on uh, November the 10th. Please write that down. In my almost 63 years, how many times have I heard somebody say they were about to do something, they were about to make a decision, they were about to go in a path where they shouldn't go, and at that very moment, there was a parent or a grandparent who was praying, 
on his or her face. And I say by that, I mean on your knees praying or your head's bowed and you're crying out to God. And they didn't know it. That child didn't know it. They made the right choice in that decision. They didn't know it, but they had a parent who was praying at that very moment that changed their lives. You ever heard a story like that? You need to come with me and listen to some of those stories. They're unbelievable. Why? Because God's everywhere. When you can't be there to be the gatekeeper and you can't control access to everything and everybody that's coming in and out of your children's lives, what you're instilling in your children, the Lord himself is always there. He's always there. The fact of the matter is we need God's help. There's got to be a plan. There's got to be a builder. And except the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. I love the story of the boy that was sitting on his father's lap as they were looking into a mirror. And the boy said to his dad, Dad, who made me? He said, God made you, son. And the little boy said, Dad, who made you? He said, God made me, son. The little boy said, Dad, who made granddad? He said, God made, me, God made him, son. He said, Dad, who made great-granddad? He said, God made him, son. Why are you asking me these questions? The little boy took one last look back into the mirror at himself, and he said, well, it just seems to me he's doing a better, much better job in recent years. <laughs> you know, God can do a much better job than you and I can ever do. You've got to be real and genuine in your faith, and you've got to call out to God, and you've got to ask God for your help. Grandparents, don't check out of your children's grandchildren's lives. Your grandchildren need you in their lives. I had my grandson with me. I have one grandson in Dallas I don't get to see but a couple of times a year. I don't get to do this with him yet. He's six. I have another grandson about to be 12. He was with me at my house. He had to stay a couple of hours with me. That's torture. <laughs> stay with a preacher dad. That's, you know, uh, as preacher granddad. But we were both in the living room. I had my iPad out. I was doing something on the iPad. He had his iPad out over the couch, you know, playing some game on the iPad. I put my iPad down. And I said, hey, hey, Luke, let's talk a minute. <laughs> that always gets an interesting reaction, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, hey, what you learning in your Bible class? Tell me what you learned in your Bible class. And he began telling me some of the things that he's learning in his Bible class. One of them was a little embarrassing. I'll not mention it here, but one of, some of the things that, that he was learning in his Bible class. And, and, and then we got into, you know, the books of the Bible. He, Luke, do you know the books of the Bible? Oh, yeah, granddad, we had to memorize the books of the Bible. That's old stuff. You know, what do you, you don't, don't, don't you know the books of the Bible, granddad? Yeah, how'd you learn the books of the Bible? Well, we learned the books of the Bible. I did, but with a song. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts of the Epistle of the Romans, first and second. I learned about a song. Now I have to sing the song to get to the right book. <laughs> I said, well, quote them for me, Luke. And he began with Genesis and went all the way through Revelation. And then we started talking about some of the things that he's learning in those books. You know, I thought to myself, I'm looking at this iPad. I need to be interacting with my grandson about spiritual things. I need them to understand that God is integrated into every aspect of our lives, every part of our lives, every single day. God does a lot better job than I can do, and I need God's help, and you need God's help. We can't have duplicitous, hypocritical lives. We can't talk about everything except the Lord. We can't get excited about our favorite activity or sport and bemoan reading the Bible or praying or going to church and expect our children to have a heart for God. We can't go home saying, I don't like that preacher. He just preaches too loud and too long. 
You might not like this preacher. He may preach too loud and too long, but you better not say that to your kids or you will undermine and destroy their respect for authority in the process. We have to invite the Lord into our parenting every single day and depend on him to help us. I don't have time to take you to Genesis. Well, I'm going to take you there quickly. Genesis 24, just give you a quick story. In Genesis 24, you have Abraham who's sending his servant to find a wife for his, his, uh, his son, Isaac, for his promised son, Isaac. And this is, a, this is a daunting task. Can you imagine? He's not supposed to take a wife from the Canaanites. He's supposed to go back to the people of Abraham and find this woman who's going to become the wife of Isaac. How'd you like to have that task, moms and dads? By the way, I don't suggest you do it this way either. I don't suggest you follow uh, Abraham's pattern here. This was a divine thing. But in this particular text of Scripture, the servant goes off. Notice verse 12 of chapter 24. The servant's praying. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I, I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. He, ta- he calls out to God. Abraham's already prayed. Now this servant is praying and asking God for help. He goes, to the, he goes to the well. He sits down. Rebecca comes out. Rebecca gives him water, gives, uh, gives water to his camels. Her brother Laban comes out and says, why don't you come home with us? We're going to take care of you at our house. He tells to Laban and to the family what God has been doing. God is the one at work. Rebecca is the choice for Isaac, Abraham's son. Again, I don't recommend you do this. Don't go down to the Marshall Fountain and say, Lord, the first woman that comes out of the Marshall Rec Center, that's not the way to find a wife for your your husband or for your son or your daughter, a husband or wife for your son or your daughter. But God was involved. Do you get the point? They were asking God. God had to guide them. God had to help them. And Rebecca came out. I wish you could go on reading the rest of that story. It's a beautiful love story. It says at the end of the story that Isaac loved Rebekah because God was involved. We need God's help. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. We need a plan. We're going to talk about that. We need the builder, the builder, God himself to help us. So that there's two prayers I want, you to, I want you to pray with me starting today. If you're a parent, grandparents, you can pray these prayers as well. Two prayers I want you to pray with me going forward in the rearing of your children. Prayer number one, you should pray this prayer regularly. You don't have to pray it every day, but you ought to pray it regularly. Lord, let my children see in me an example of someone that loves you, seeks you, and serves you so that they will have a model, a model of the faith to follow. You get it? Every child needs a model to be able to follow. Lord, make me that person that my children can see the reality of my faith, that I love you, I seek you, and I serve you, and that they can say, I don't know much else about my dad, I don't know much else about my mother, but I know my dad and my mom loved God. They loved God. I had two wonderful parents. They weren't perfect. 
I had two wonderful parents. There are, no, there are no perfect parents, by the way. No perfect parents. You may have thought you arrived, but you hadn't. No perfect parents. I had two, had two incredible parents. I don't think children are looking for perfect parents. I think they're looking for parents that are real, that are genuine, that are true. They understand you can't be perfect, but they understand whether you're playing the game or whether it's a reality to you. Your faith is a reality to you. They know. Do you pray? Do you read your own Bible? Do you go to church? Are you involved in sharing your faith? Are you reaching out to instruct your children? They hear you talking about the things of the Lord. Do you integrate all of the truths of Scripture into your own life? They need a model. Number two, prayer number two. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me the wisdom I need through the knowledge of your word to apply it to our lives in such a way that my children will, here's the key word, desire. They need a model, and we want them to desire the reality of my faith for themselves. To desire the reality of my faith for themselves. Sometimes people uh, apply the word of God in a way that it comes across like Moses. You know, it comes across like Charlton Heston given the Ten Commandments. Rather than the application of the word of God that comes out of the knowledge of his word, that comes across in a loving, compassionate way toward our children, it may be stern, it may be direct, it may be forceful at times, but it comes across with the reality of my faith so that they'll desire. I want them to know that I'm doing these things because I love God, not because I just like restricting your life. And that's a prayer. Those two prayers, I'll put those online so you can have them and write them down and that you can remember them.